0: let's go into the next patient.
1: So the next lady is a 62-year-old architect who was very busy with her career, and she has not undergone regular mammography for at least five years. She presented to her primary care physician with severe dyspnea and exertion. Her primary care physician listened to her, said, I don't hear breath sounds in your right lung, go to the emergency room. And that's when I met her, and she was found to have a left breast mass. Essentially, her whole left breast was completely replaced by tumor. She also had some nodules on the surface of the tumor. She was found to have some peritoneal stranding on CT scan, and she also had a large right pleural effusion. She then underwent both breast biopsy as well as a pleuridesis and pleural fluid sampling, which showed lobular carcinoma, hormone receptor positive, HER2
0: negative. So was this a situation where she was aware there was a problem or because it was lobular, you know, it just really, she didn't feel it?
1: She says that she didn't notice too many changes in her left breast, that it's always been asymmetric, but I'm not sure exactly how much she noticed
2: and how much she thought, okay, it'll be okay. Well, she actually said a a bunch of the people in her office had a cold and were sick, so she thought her shortness of breath, which she'd had for about a month, was related to that. And, and she really seemed to just not be aware of any changes in her breasts, even though she still has a lot on exam right now. So I think it's a, one of these cases where she was really just denying.
0: So what were you thinking about in terms of initial management?
1: So interesting, you know, she was in a lot of denial, as Sandy had pointed out at that time. And she was also very uncomfortable. And despite the pleuridesis, when she came in to see me for discussion of chemotherapy after she was discharged from the hospital, she needed to go back and have two more thoracenteses. I think. Therefore, at first we talked about paclitaxel and bevacizumab, but at that time it wasn't a good option for her. So while she kept having these pleural fluid samplings and things, I went ahead and started her on hormonal therapy because I wanted to get some systemic therapy on board. And what I specifically started with was an aromatase inhibitor. And she had about 14 months with the aromatase inhibitor. She has had no recurrence of her pleural fluid. Additionally, her breast mass for a time had decreased in size, was softer. The nodularity had flattened the peritoneal stranding could not be seen. For about 14 months after, her breast started progressing again. Additionally, on scans, the peritoneal stranding reappeared. Therefore, we started her on fulvestrant. I did not load her at that time, and she received it for about three months, and the peritoneal stranding as well as the nodules on the breast surface started increasing. Therefore, we then started the paclitaxel and bevacizumab. And she's had about seven cycles and her breast mass is still present, but significantly softer. Additionally, the nodules on her the surface of her breast have flattened out somewhat. And the peritoneal stranding is no longer apparent.
0: Sandy, when you see a patient who presents like this with metastatic disease and, you know, extensive primary disease or just in general if you see that a patient has lobular cancer as opposed to ductal, is there anything that you think differently?
2: Well, most of these patients who have lobular have very hormonally responsive disease. So yes, I would say I do think somewhat differently in that I'm much more likely to really push the hormonal therapy, even in a situation where you've got pleural effusions. But you can work with the pleural effusions as was done with the pleurodesis and really get that taken care of. And she really didn't have true visceral disease. So I think clearly this was the right decision for us to try to use the hormonal therapy. So and lobular tends to do things like this, go to the pleura, go to the GI tract, the peritoneum. So I think that this would be exactly what I would have done in this situation.
0: And what about the initial decision in terms of hormonal therapy? It kind of sounds like, you know, one of the things was you didn't want to give the bevacizumab because in terms of wound healing, and they're still kind of dealing with the pleura, but turned out, Sandy, it was a, a very good therapy. What about hormonal therapy in this kind of situation?
2: Well, she really didn't have visceral disease. She just had pleural disease. So once the pleura is taken care of with the pleuridesis, I do use hormonal therapy in exactly these kind of situations because they tend to have very indolent disease and respond for quite a long time to hormonal therapy. So I would agree. And I think it really saved her from getting chemotherapy early on and having the toxicity from that. So I would totally support this.
0: How has this lady tolerated the paclitaxel bevacizumab? Any hypertension or bevacizumab issues, paclitaxel issues?
1: What's interesting is that we started her on antihypertensive therapy today. Hmm. The last time she came to see me, her blood pressure was a little bit high. And today it was high. And I looked to see, I think last cycle, one day it was high, the day she was getting bevacizumab. So I went ahead and started her on antihypertensive therapy today. And as far as the neuropathy from the paclitaxel, it's still grade one, but she is starting to feel the effects a little bit more now. However, she's still able to perform all her ADLs. She can put her earrings on herself, button her clothes.
0: How about nosebleeds?
1: She's not having any nosebleeds, surprisingly.
0: What do you see, Sandy, in terms of nosebleeds? I hear people talking about a lot of people having it minimally, but not too many a lot.
2: Well, in the study I did at the NCI, where we treated everybody with inflammatory breast cancer with bevacizumab, it was a huge percent. A majority of the patients did have very minor nosebleeds, so it's very common to have the epistaxis. But it's usually clinically not important at all. I mean, the most important Toxicity that we really see with it is what she presented with today. Her diastolic was above a hundred and it hadn't been that high, and it was after what six or seven cycles that this appeared. So this is probably the most common toxicity. And she says, "Well, I feel fine. I feel great." And you know, we all know that you feel great when your blood pressure is up. So <laughs> she'll get that treated, and I think she'll be fine with that.
0: Interesting.